Today is Thanksgiving Sunday, and so I was asked to pay attention to that topic this afternoon. And so our text will be Colossians 3, verse 17. But we'll read verses 1 through 17 to give that context. Colossians chapter 3. Hear the words of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that verse, that last one that we read, is what we will pay attention to this afternoon. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today is Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day doesn't seem as common, observed as commonly in Australia as it is in North America. In fact, you don't see, seem to hear anything about Thanksgiving Day outside of free reform circles. Things are quite different in North America. In Canada, and especially the USA, Thanksgiving is a huge event in the USA, it takes place in November. And so you have to imagine how this works. A lot of uh, uni students, um, in their first year, they've gone away from home for the first time. And they have been away for a few months. 
the school year there starts in September. And so September, October, November, they've been away from home for a few months for the first time in their lives at uni, and then they often come back again to be with their family on Thanksgiving Day. And so for a lot of those people, Thanksgiving Day is about spending time with family. It's about good food and drink. It's often very nostalgic. There's a lot of celebration involving food and family. But do we necessarily have a better view on it as Christians? We would see Thanksgiving more in connection with faith, which is really the, what the original meaning of that day was. But then what sorts of things are we thankful for? Here in WA, if you talk to farmers, they'll often say that it's normal to get one cut of hay from your paddock. But if you talk to a farmer in the Fraser Valley in British Columbia, it's normal to get five cuts of hay in one summer. And so does that mean that the farmer in British Columbia is five times more thankful than the one here? Or is supposed to be five times more thankful? It's interesting that our passage, if you look at it, gives, tell, tells us three times in the last three verses to give thanks. But there's no indication in these verses as such that thanksgiving depends on your circumstances. And so you could argue that thanksgiving here is part of a, a larger pattern of how Christians are supposed to live. And by reminding us of this three times in three verses, it, it presses home to us the message that thanksgiving should be consistent and that's not necessarily the case for us. It doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. And that's why we need to be reminded and commanded to give thanks. And so that's what our text this afternoon does as well. And as we consider that text together, we're going to ask ourselves, how is this supposed to work? How can we obey this command to give thanks? And we'll see that, that our passage tells us that we do so by having the right motivation and by directing it to the right person. Now, if there's one thing you could say about human beings in general, it's that they are often profoundly ungrateful. And ingratitude is actually a sign of unbelief. Did you know that? Romans 1 verse 21 makes, a point, makes that point when it speaks about mankind, which collectively has turned away from God. And it says, quote, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So man's refusal to believe in God leads to man's refusal to give thanks to God. And so you could say that ingratitude is fundamentally an expression of unbelief. And we certainly see ingratitude on a large scale today. Consider the incredible medical and technological advances that have been made in the last three centuries. Even royalty in the past, did not enjoy the standard of living that the average Australian family enjoys today. You can eat anything you want. You can drive anywhere you want. You can learn anything you want. You can become anything you want. We have privileges that past generations could only dream about. And yet, people in general often seem to display this sense of entitlement. It's as if they think they deserve everything that's coming to them. And those of you that work in the service industries know this. You talk to anyone who works in a service industry, ask them if they've ever encountered a sense of entitlement in their customers. 
and invariably someone will have a story. Now, we should not pretend that we as Christians are immune to that kind of behavior. Our passage reminds us that if we have been raised with Christ, we are to seek the things that are above. It says that in verse 1. And that implies that even people who have been saved still need ongoing sanctification. It makes that point in in verse 5. He goes on to say, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And covetousness, by its very nature, is linked to ingratitude. You covet what someone else has when you are not grateful for what you have yourself. And he goes on to say, In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And the fact that Christians are reminded to put these away implies that Christians today still struggle with these things as well. So the point is, this is not an issue just for unbelievers. This is an issue for all of us. And thankfulness then is directly connected to your spiritual health. If you're middle-aged or older and you suddenly experience sharp stabbing pains in your chest, you're probably in the process of developing a major heart attack. That pain is a sign that something is seriously wrong and you need to deal with it right away. You cannot afford to wait. In the same way, if you're a Christian and if you're not thankful, something is seriously wrong with your spiritual life. Christians whose lives are not characterized by thanksgiving have one of two things wrong with them. Either they have not thought much about their salvation or they have not actually been saved. Now, the first is a question of sanctification. If you're not going through life with a sense of thankfulness, it means that you still need to mature in that part of your faith. But the second one is much more deadly. If you're not saved, you cannot lay claim to being a Christian either. And then the reason why you're not thankful is because you have nothing to be thankful for. So we really need to stop and think about this. For us to obey this command to give thanks, we need to understand what salvation is. And there are many different ways to define that word. One definition is that salvation implies a transfer to a new dominion. And Paul writes about that in the first chapter of this letter. In chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, he says, uh, he refers to giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here, salvation means to be delivered from the domain of darkness. It means to be delivered from the domain of Satan and to be transferred to the kingdom of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that all human beings belong to one of two kingdoms. Either they belong to the kingdom of Satan or they belong to the kingdom of Christ. There is no third kingdom where you get to be in charge. Now, many people think that there is, but that's an illusion. Colossians 1 verse 12 through 14, which we just read, makes it clear that there are only two kingdoms. And all of those who do not belong to the kingdom of Christ belong to the kingdom of Satan. And that's because of their sin. And it makes sense if you think about it. Sin in Scripture is defined as rebellion against God 
Sinners cannot be part of God's kingdom because God's kingdom is one of love. And you cannot love someone against whom you rebel. It makes sense, doesn't it? So how then can sinners leave the kingdom of darkness and enter this kingdom of light? Through redemption. That means that their sins are forgiven. It means that God's charges against them are dropped. And that was made possible through Jesus Christ. He is the beloved son. He died for sinners. And so when sinners believe in him, God forgives their sins. God drops all the charges against them. God transfers them immediately from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then he continues the work of renewal that he began in them when they had saving faith. When he gave them saving faith. And so renewal is not just a Christian varnish on an otherwise unregenerated life. Renewal means that your entire life is transformed. Everything changes. Your outlook, your priorities, your motivations, everything. There is no part of a believer's existence that falls outside of this transforming work of God. And because you are then a part of the kingdom of the Son, you qualify to share in the inheritance of the Son as well. You become an heir of eternal life together with God's people. That's what salvation looks like. That's what it is. So the only proper response to that is thankfulness. It's interesting, by the way, that our our text 3 verse 17 refers not just to Jesus. It refers to the Lord Jesus. Did you notice that? Every word in Scripture is there for a reason. And this refers to the Lord Jesus. He's called Jesus because he saves people from their sins, but because he is the Savior, he is also the Lord. And that word Lord then implies authority over the lives of believers. It implies that now that they belong to God's kingdom, they also live according to the law of the kingdom. And that authority is reflected in baptism as well. This afternoon we witnessed the baptism of Lucas Hendrik Ballast. Lucas's parents are both Christians. They belong to Christ. They are under the authority of Christ, and because of that, he lays claim on their children as well. And that's one of the realities that is symbolized in baptism. Baptism shows the lordship of Christ over our lives. Most of us here this afternoon were baptized as infants. Have you ever considered what a great blessing it is to be baptized as an infant? Because that means that from the very beginning, God has left no doubt as to whose kingdom you belong to, whose dominion you belong to. He has left no doubt as to whose authority you fall under. He does not wait for you to see how your life works out before, before he puts you in one or the other. Instead, he says, you belong to me. And then he says, now live accordingly. It's a great blessing to be baptized It's a great blessing to have Christ as Lord. And because Christ is our Lord, we are commanded to do everything in his name. Our text says, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means two things. To do do something in someone's name means two things. First, when you act in someone's name, that means that you represent that person. Everybody who's in the kingdom of Christ also represents Christ. And second, it means that 
you then also have the power to live for Christ. If, if you do something in someone's name, then that implies that the power and authority of that person stands behind you as well. And that changes how you live. Our text says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So word and deed covers every aspect of our existence. So in everything we say and everything we do, whether we are at home or at school or at work, we always have the standard in the back of our minds. We always have to ask ourselves, is, is this something I can do as a representative of Christ? When you're with your friends, can we do what we do as a representative of Christ? Are we living out of the salvation that he promised to us? And remember, salvation is always about being transferred from one kingdom to the other. So when Jesus is your Lord, you do not go back to the ways of the old kingdom. There has to be a radical break. How can there be thanksgiving if there is no obedience? So the command to give thanks encourages us to examine our motivations. It encourages us also to persevere when we're doing the right thing. Christ commands us to do all things in his name. And that implies he will give us the power to do so. That's also reflected in chapter 1, verse 29 of this letter. Paul writes about doing his work, and he says, um, I, I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul was able to do his work as an apostle because it was Christ working in him. And that, that text implies that Christ will do the same for us. If we do things in his name, if we are allowed to do things in his name, then he will not withhold his strength, his encouragement, his guidance from those who represent him. Which means you can always count on a spirit to strengthen and to guide you, which means you never need to be afraid. Because you know what? For a lot of us, our life is in some way shaped by fear. If there's one thing that sabotages our thanksgiving, it is fear. Thanksgiving and fear cannot mix. And where does fear come from? Fundamentally, fear comes from feeling that somehow you will not measure up or the things that you're involved in will not measure up. And maybe what passes for irritation or anxiety in, in a lot of situations is actually fear of not measuring up, fear maybe of being disappointed, fear of not having expectations met, whether your own or other people's expectations about you. But a Christian who is living faithfully who is doing everything in the name of the Lord does not need to be afraid because he or she can count on receiving the strength that is necessary to get through the day. And maybe that doesn't always mean that everything will work out the way you think it will, but it does mean that Christ is with you in everything. Knowing that ahead of time can help you to determine to be thankful regardless of what happens. It's his authority, his guidance, his care that is in our lives mediated to us through the Holy Spirit so when you belong to Christ you can do everything in his name thanksgiving comes out of the sense of belonging that's why verses 15 through 17 don't give a reason for thanksgiving, did you, did you notice that? three times in three verses he says to be thankful in some way he says verse 15 be thankful verse 16 with thankfulness in hearts to God Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him, and nowhere does it actually tell us why we are to be thankful. They simply, all these verses simply state or imply a reason to give thanks. That's because thanksgiving is not purely tied to our daily circumstances. 
Instead, it's rooted in our relationship with God as, as his people. But if we belong to God, if we believe that we belong to God, why is it so difficult to do this? Why do we need to be told on a special day to, to do this? Why do we struggle so often? Well, we identified one reason already, which is fear. But there are others. Human beings, even those who are being sanctified, are not always grateful. Why not? Because gratitude or thankfulness implies that something was missing previously, and we don't always believe that. Let's illustrate this with an analogy. Imagine someone who has spent an hour playing soccer in the heat but forgot his bottle of water. Now if someone hands him a a cold drink at the end of the game, he's going to be very thankful. He was missing something. There was a lack in his life. Now he's got it. He's thankful. But if that same soccer player already drank more than enough and then someone hands him a cold bottle of water, he might say thanks to be polite, but it's not the same feeling of gratitude, is it? And the same applies to our relationship with God. If we're not really grateful for what he gave in Christ, it implies that we didn't think there was much wrong with us to begin with. And it's impossible to give thanks if you're not really convinced that you have much to be thankful for. Now our text shows us that as Christians we are called to keep thanksgiving central in our life. But many of us tend to keep other things central in our life. And one of them is productivity. It's an interesting thing to reflect on this Thanksgiving Day. Productivity. Our age is always pushing people to produce more. Now, sometimes we absorb that mindset. We, all, we become focused on productivity. Meeting the next deadline. Pushing out more product. Scheduling more jobs. Getting it done. But it is simply not possible to obey the command to be thankful if your life is focused on productivity. If you live to be as productive as possible, you're only going to be happy when all of your benchmarks are met. You'll only be happy when you're productive. You're going to be stressed or overwhelmed when you're not. Then your your Thanksgiving is tied very tightly to your circumstances. When it comes to productivity, we live in a crazy world, don't we? There have been so many inventions that were supposed to make our lives easier. But you know... Even secular writers have discovered that every invention that was supposed to make our lives easier has actually freed up more time to work. There were people in the 50s that said, you know, the time will come when you'll only have to work a few hours per week because you'll have machines doing everything else for you. Well, how's that worked out for you? And now that artificial intelligence, or AI as they call it, is in the picture, the demands are increasing astronomically. We already have way more news coming in than any one person can absorb. Imagine how much faster information will be produced now that so much of the process can be automated. In fact, there have even been attempts to automate worship, believe it or not. And this isn't news. This was already a thing half a year ago. Midway through last year, there was a church congress in Germany where about 300 people attended a worship service. That, that worship service was 98% created and run by AI. It was delivered by four avatars on a screen who led the service. The organizer did put in some prompts, but the 40-minute sermon was written by AI. The service was run by four avatars, two men and two women on screens. Avatar then meaning not a real person. All generated. And it was an experiment, but it was also a transgression. 
a transgression of a sacred boundary. Because genuine worship comes out of thanksgiving. And as we saw, genuine thanksgiving is motivated by the awareness of the salvation that the triune God has obtained for us. You cannot automate that. You never will. You cannot replace our faith with an algorithm. True thanksgiving requires reflection. It requires large quantities of time spent with God alone in his word. And it cannot therefore be subject to the same drive for efficiency that has overtaken every other aspect of our existence. So how can we obey the command to give thanks? We've seen that one answer is by having the right motivation. We can express our gratitude properly when we begin to realize the extent of salvation. But having the right motivation is not enough. We must also direct our thanksgiving to the right person, according to our text. So why does it say that? Why does it specifically direct us to give thanks to God the Father? There is, after all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God. Yet our text specifically calls us to give thanks to God the Father through Christ in that order. Why? Well, the answer is because without Christ, we cannot relate to God at all. You remember John 3.16? Most people would be aware of that verse. Probably one of the most commonly known verses, um, even outside of churches. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So that verse makes it clear that the Father sent the Son into the world to reconcile sinners to himself. That element of reconciliation is reflected in Colossians chapter 1 when it says, For in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the father reconciled sinners to himself through the blood of his son. The catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, makes that same point when it says God has become our father through Christ. So when we pray, we do so in Jesus' name. The Catechism explains this further when it says a prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Why is it the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us? Because it's in the act of prayer, true, a genuine, heartfelt prayer, that you experience this reconciliation with God, that you know you are being heard because of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to show gratitude, pray to the Father often. I regularly tell, tell this to my catechism class. It's an, an illustration I use with them sometimes. Imagine that your parents gave you a watch for your birthday. How do you show your gratitude? And always a few of them will put up their hands and say, well, they say thank you, and that's true, and it's good to say thanks, but what else do you do? You wear the watch. You wear it. You use it to show how much you appreciate it. If you said thanks and then put the watch in a drawer and never looked at it again, well, how grateful are you, really? In the same way, how do you show thankfulness to God for reconciling himself to you through Christ? By praying to him often in Jesus' name. And so our text commands us to give thanks. It's through the Lord Jesus that we have access to the Father. And it says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So you see, our thanksgiving is not based on our circumstances, not even on this day. Our thanksgiving flows out of the knowledge that God is our Father through the Son, that He's united to us by His Spirit. Our circumstances can trigger thanksgiving, but that should not be the primary reason that we give thanks. And if our thanksgiving is really based on knowing God, then we will be able to give thanks even when we don't feel like it. Now, some of you might think that's hypocritical. It is hypocritical to give thanks when you don't really feel thankful. How can you do that when God knows the heart? But it's not being hypocritical. That is actually being obedient. When God regenerates you, when God gives you a new will, he also calls you to use it. As the canons of Dort put it so well in chapter 3, 4, article 12, the will so renewed is not only acted upon and moved by God, but acted upon by God. The will itself also acts. So prayer and praise may not always be spontaneous, but we are able to do so anyway and should do so anyway because God commanded us to do so and enables us to obey. It is in obeying that you are unable to obey. And that is why all of us should have set times in our days when we pray. The habit itself can get us to that point. You might not always feel like it, but do it anyway. It's a little bit like those old cars, right? The uh, old Model Ts, they had a crank handle at the front for turning over the engine, and apparently it was quite difficult sometimes to do. It took some effort to crank over the engine, but eventually once it starts to run, it runs on its own. It doesn't need the person to crank it anymore, and prayer can be like that too. So daily times of prayer is an important part of thanksgiving. Another way to motivate ourselves is to give thanks and to prompt our prayers to spend time in God's word. Verse 16 of our reading says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And again, this is in that general context of thanksgiving. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does it mean to dwell in you richly? It means to dwell in you thoroughly. So does it do that for you, dear brothers and sisters? Does the word dwell in you richly? Do you give it that time or is it a passing guest? Communal singing is another way in which we remind each other of what God has done in the past. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Good hymns, good well-written psalms help us in this because they present a track for the mind to follow. Other Christians have worn that track, and we follow that track. And so when we sing, we experience unity with believers around us, unity with believers in ages gone by, unity with the believers on the pages of Scripture when we sing the Psalms. Other Christians wore the track, and we follow them. So you see, true thanksgiving needs to be done regularly. It's much more than just what happened here what we're doing here today, and it is good to be here together. It is good to give thanks together, to acknowledge the great things that God does, the many blessings that God has given us in this past year, in our families, also praying for his blessing on the year that lies ahead. But our thanksgiving depends on more than our circumstances, and that is why we give thanks even during times of difficulty. And that grounds us. And that's the one thing that will keep us grounded as 
this age that we're in moves faster and faster as things develop around us at a pace that no one can keep up with anymore. Thanksgiving is what you hold on to. Thanksgiving will ground you because when you give thanks, you ground yourself in God's unchangeable promises. God is unchangeable regardless of what happens. He promises that he is our God. That is what you hold on to. Should come naturally, shouldn't it? But it doesn't. We still have so much to learn. So it is God's grace that he reminds us again of his love this afternoon. When we learn to obey the command to give thanks, that we'll all have the right motivation. We'll give thanks regardless of what happens in our day-to-day life. And then there will be no limitation on our thanksgiving to God in this life or in the life to come. Amen.